You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Ladies and gentlemen, just when you thought you've heard from every elite bow hunter in North America, the Nine Finger Chronicles comes along and just blows you away with another fantastic guest full of knowledge, excitement, and entertainment. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles, and today's guest is Andrew Muntz. Now, with a, a, what's the word, a resume, with a resume like what Andrew has, I'm going to tell you right now. Uh, he has his own podcast, and rightfully so, okay? He is, they call him the magic man. Uh, I've heard I've heard that, that they, they might, a couple times they call him the magic man. And in the fall, he goes out and he just gets it done. Now, he used to really suck, right? But then through failure, and then through learning from failure, and then applying what he's learned to a new scenario he started to get pretty good at deer hunting, right? And he started to uh, have success. And that's what we all want, ultimately. And uh, this episode is going to be fun. And uh, I really enjoy talking to Andrew. That was a, a huge bullshit type of intro, but I hopefully you guys enjoy it. Um, it's a fun episode, man. Uh, he talks about the struggles that he's had to go through um, for most of his bow hunting career, uh, you know, sitting in the same stand over and over, uh, not learning from mistakes, uh, just like having to compete with dumb luck and, and ultimately using historical data to continue to go back and uh, go back to the drawing board and then ultimately find success. So uh, you guys are going to enjoy this. He is the host of the Ohio Outdoors podcast here on the Sportsman's Empire. So if you're from Ohio or the surrounding states, tons of great information and content coming out of that podcast. And today we're going to get right into the commercials here. Let me check here. What do we got? Okay. We got the Woodman's Pal, right? If you're looking for a tool to keep in your truck, if uh, to keep in your pack, uh, 
we uh, we're calling it a habitat tool because ultimately that's what it is, man. Hacking down weeds, hacking down uh, sticks, cutting out places to put your blind, uh, cutting shooting lanes, um, cl- clearing out vegetation that's going to help you hang trail cameras. Uh, these are just a couple of the things that you can use the Woodman's Pal for. You can go to woodmanspal.com and uh, check out all of the the features that this made in america uh habitat tool has the best part about it is is it's made in america and this company's been around since 1941 right i think back in the day it could have been like world war ii or something like that all the soldiers were carrying this thing uh on their hip and so uh it's it's durable you can tell when you hold it that it has uh uh awesome functionality it's built solid and that's what you want and that's what you get with uh, made in america made in america products go check out the woodmanspal.com and then we have huntworth just got a package and I'll, i'll be completely honest i've been so busy this week i haven't had the chance to open it up yet but i got a uh warm season hunting gear in the mail i sat down with uh, one of the ladies that works there and we talked about how i hunt where i hunt and then she provided me with the best type of gear for those types of scenarios uh, especially in my out-of-state hunts when it's uh, warmer during the day and then cooler in the, in the mornings and evenings but i'm really looking forward to putting huntworth through the ringer uh, based off of everybody that i've talked to and including the marketing guy over there uh, i'm i should expect to get uh, 80 to 90 percent of the the functionality for fit uh, of, of the value for 50 percent of the cost so what that means is you know there's all these other elite brands out there you know who they are but you're getting very comparable functionality out of this clothing at of 50 percent of the cost ultimately so um i love that that they make their clothes for the working man and the working hunter uh and so go check out huntworthgear.com and uh, just take a look just browse that's what i do is just browse through everything and say okay i can see myself wearing this piece of clothing in this scenario and if you have any questions hit them up because they're more than happy to uh you know to uh answer your questions other than that i'm in a good mood tonight i've had i went to wisconsin i live in iowa but i went to wisconsin uh, last week to go visit vortex optics and um I, I came back with 24 spotted cow beers and i drank three of them before i started recording this episode they're tasting so good i might just go uh, drink one more before bed guys guys the antlers are growing i'm starting to get freaking fired up right now and uh it's just a matter of time before i go get my trail cameras out and start and start collecting the data on this year's uh targets hopefully you guys are doing the same hopefully you're getting excited uh good vibes in good vibes out and let's get into today's episode three two one All right, ladies and gentlemen, today on the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, I'm joined by another Sportsman's Empire brother, Mr. Andrew Muntz of the Ohio Outdoors podcast. What's up, man? Not much. It's Friday. Yeah. Uh, We've been trying to schedule this for a few days now, and every time it turns around, it's kid stuff. Yep. Uh, This morning, I'm sitting here, got my two, and uh, I got the text from my daughter 
Dad, I just threw up in the toilet. I'm like, oh this God. would be perfectly fitting for a conversation with Dave. So <laughs> don't worry, honey. I went up. I checked out her. Got her some more Gatorade. I'm like, checked her temperature. I'm like, all right, just you you're good. Tight. You're okay. good. How old is she? Nine. Nine. Okay. So she is right around the, okay, I can leave you alone for a little bit uh, and and go re- go record a podcast and then come check on you in an hour. You got the TV remote control. You know how to use it type deal. Bingo. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. What, she got the flu? No idea. Just started yeah. coming down with a little fever last night. So. Yep. My favorite is when uh, I'm watching my kids just like demolish shitty food all day long. And it's like ice cream bars and candy and chips. And then I warn them. I go, hey, do you remember the last time that this happened? Do you remember that you threw up? You you said you had a tummy ache and then you started throwing up. It's going to happen again. Oh, no, I'm fine this time, Dad. I, I feel good this time. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Dad, you were right. I probably shouldn't have had that eighth ice cream bar today. They sneak so much food, dude. It's crazy. When your wife tells you that, she's like, yeah. you know, last time you drank 18 beers, that didn't work <laughs> well either. So something's never changed. Exactly. I'm fine this time. I'm fine this time. Oh, life. Life is funny. Um, how old are you? No, you got a nine-year-old, and what else? So my nine-year-old daughter, she's my angel, uh, does nothing wrong, great student. Yep. And my seven-year-old son is the opposite. So. Okay. When I say that, it's one of those things like we get a letter in the mail from the school one day that's like, oh, your daughter is in the 98th percentile of reading and stuff. And then the same week I get a, a letter in the mail from my son. It's like, oh, he needs to go to literacy camp. So okay. you're, setting, you're setting up your uh, you know summer thing. You're like, oh, well, you're going to go to 4-H camp and you're going to summer school. But yeah. Whatever. <laughs> um, the best one was was the week we had, or not, it wasn't a week. It was like a probably a couple month period. We got all these calls from the school, and uh, the best was, uh, I just want to let you know that uh, your son, he uh, depantsed some kid during circle time today. I'm yeah. like, I don't even know where you learned that, bro. Yeah. Like, we do not, we do not depant people in this house, uh, but somehow he figured out how to do oh, that. Oh, they, they so that figure cool. out a lot. On the bus ride specifically, that's where I learned a lot of stuff uh, when I was r- riding the bus as a young kid. It's where I got my first fight. And I'll tell you this story. So there's, there's this kid... And he was picking on my brother, right? And so I stepped in. This kid was between me and my brother in age. So I stepped in. I said, hey, stop picking on my brother. Then that kid's older brother, who was two years older than me, came up and he pushed me down. I punched him right in his mouth. And then I took his book bag and I threw it out the school bus window as it was driving down the highway to go to our house. <laughs> and, and and he started crying. I'm like, I thought you were tough. You know, like like uh, it was it was funny. And uh, my dad got pissed because he had to pay for a new backpack or something like that. And and uh, the bus driver uh, kicked kicked all four of us out of the bus for like a week. So that meant my dad and mom had to share responsibility getting me and my brother to school, and it was just an inconvenience. So they weren't happy about all that. Can you imagine if you did that today oh, with yeah. all the electric stuff? You throw somebody's book bag out the window with a Chromebook or something in there. Oh, that's yeah. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a hundred dollars at max New. in 19, like in 1991 or two, when it happened, it's uh, like thou potentially thousands of dollars, right? Nuts, nuts. 
Have, did you ever get in any fights when you were a kid? No, oh, man. I, I would roll with people like you, and I would watch them fight. Okay. And plenty of those stories. But, I mean, one of my best friends from, from high school, uh, oh, boy, he could lay it down. Yeah. And uh, it was always fun to watch. But, yeah. Yeah. We had a uh, – uh, we had a couple guys <laughs> in our crew. They were the biggest shit talkers. They would talk shit, and then right when it was about time to go down, they did that Homer Simpson meme where they just disappear into the bush, <laughs> and then the fight would break out, and then this guy was nowhere to be seen. And then as the fight's getting over, he he shows back up. He's like, hey, hey, <laughs> hey, what come on guys let's do this and we're like dude you just missed it you know like so yeah i mean that's we could life. go on and on stories for a long time that's a fact sometimes those are those are fun more fun to talk about than than deer hunting i mean i got all day man <laughs> don't, don't that text message comes up about uh puking yeah so. okay so i don't know what kind of money the ohio outdoors podcast is making but uh you put in a pool. Did, uh, is it brand no. new or you redid it? No, no. So we we bought a house in February of 2020. Okay. Right? So right before the world ended. Yep. And uh, it was the greatest thing ever. It had a pool in it at the time. And I wasn't really sure what to think. I've never had one, never been around one, all that kind of stuff. Two young kids. Turned out to be like the greatest thing ever because yeah. it kept them so occupied during that summer yep. of you know, shutdown. But it was a little bit, it was small, had this like wood privacy fence um, that was, its lifespan was up. And we had a couple storms here recently that would like knock the, knock some of these panels down uh, from the wood fence. So it was, it was like one of those things where it had to be done. The fence needed to be replaced. Did the rest of it really need to be done? No. But I, I was like, it's still small and it needs to, like the, we're talking the patio surrounds mm-hmm. and all that kind of but if you replace the fence, right? And like in my big picture scheme of life is that if I replace the fence, I might as well do the patio and stuff around it. Yeah. So my history, like I grew up uh, in school and stuff, landscaping. I mean, that's what I went to college for essentially, uh, horticulture and landscape. So I put patios and stuff in, in the past that I knew what was going on and I'm talking pavers, that kind of stuff. I'll try to make the, the long story shorter is that we, I was going to pay somebody to do it. Yeah. One of my buddies, my customers, and uh, my wife and I had a little disagreement one day in which I was told to cancel the project. And a few days later, um, I then tore the entire fence down because it had to be replaced anyways. Mm-hmm. And I said, F it, I'm going to do this myself <laughs> because I know how to lick papers and it can't be that hard, right? Well, of course, it was like this four month project oh, of. Boy borrow skid steers from people and getting the blocks and all the materials and moving it fighting the weather and weekends and kids schedules and soccer games and baseball games and everything that goes on well finally i think my project is is about complete and uh, i sent you some of the pictures there yeah but i think i turkey hunted twice this year i really want to get out but it was one of those things like if i had free time i had to be on that yeah if not we weren't going to be able to use that pool at all this summer right um so right yeah, man, that's that's a tough one. Uh, like, I, I'm currently working on a deck right now, and I stripped it all down to the frame, and now I have to put. Uh, I'm in the middle of putting 
what's it called, like uh, vertical board covers, like this of rubber and glue tape over top of all of them, so the they the joists last longer. And then I'm going to be uh, putting new wood on it this weekend. So Father's Day weekend is basically just going to be one big project for me. And so uh, I'm not really looking forward to that. I know how to do it. It's just I got a big pile of scrap lumber that I need to get rid of too. And if I don't, if I don't hurry up and just get on it, it's going to be September or October and I'm going to still have to be working on it. And I'm like, and then if I go hunting and there's a pile of shit in the backyard, my wife's going to be pissed at me and I don't want that leading into the deer season. So dude, the the shit never ends, right? So the whole time I'm working on this project, I'm watching the rest of like my life crumble. Not mm-hmm. my life, but the three are okay. Yeah. That other fence goes down, and the chickens are over there. They're getting out, and uh, man, I got every other everything. The lawn was too long. It was just like, but you had <laughs> doing all this stuff, uh, and it was driving me nuts. Anyways, I yeah. think I'm in a pretty good spot. Like I told you, basically last night was the first time I pulled my bow out to start. Yeah, getting in the groove, but yeah. I need to go replace a string on my bow. Uh, I got it. I I might to just to get it out of the way. I might go do it right after we uh, we go do the this after we record this. So uh, I got to get I got to get set up, dude. I got a I got a whole bunch of you know. I think all my gear is just almost like pretty much just taken out of my truck and set to the side right after deer season this year. So I'm I'm as far as gear is concerned, I'm halfway if not more organized already just from organizing myself earlier in the year so from a gear standpoint i'm i'm good to go and and i just just get my bow set up on your bow string so that bow you bought last year right that was new last year two years ago yep did you have you been shooting the original string on it the whole time yep yep this will be the first replacement this will be the first replacement yep so it's been two seasons of of it how often do you replace your string? That's a good question. A lot of it has to do with what it looks like. This one looks pretty rough because, you know, I go on these out-of-state hunts. And so if I'm going in on a stock, I have the bow in my hand. So there's a lot of contact to it. You know, you're pulling it through weeds every year, walking to the tree stand, taking it out of your pack. You know, there's always some kind of friction on it. And so I try to avoid it, but it's impossible and so I usually, if I don't replace my bow as a whole, I usually just replace the string, which I'm going to do this year. Uh, at I, and I do it at about every two years. So I let it go. I, I'll use it two seasons and then replace it. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So in the past, you said you've been bow hunting for about 20 years now, right? Oh, man, I think I got my first one in like 2008, so whatever that comes out to be. Okay, 2008. So almost 20 years of bow hunting. And then you've also said that you suck at bow hunting. I suck at bow hunting. Why, like, why do you think that you suck at bow hunting? So I, whenever I do anything, I my wife tell you this, anybody tell you this, it's like we're going all in. Yeah. It's not going to be kind of dipping your toe in the water. But I didn't grow up hunting, yeah. um, and I think I got my first gun in like 2005 or something. Went on a couple, you know, shotgun, whatever. That's what Ohio is shotgun, or it was at that time. Anywho, I decided that you know I could get in the woods more if I had a bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that time, I lived on a 200 acre farm that had 
creek, it had ag, it had woods, it had ponds, it had everything. I mean, it's freaking habitat. Yeah. Um, so I was like, all right, I'm going to get this bow, and I'm going to basically teach myself how to hunt. And I made a lot. Looking back, I'm like, man, I did a lot of things wrong. Yeah. Right? I sat that same stand all the time. I would not play the wind. I Just all kinds of stuff that right. I just didn't do. Right. So I think I went about six years before I got my first deer, and that actually came in a deer drive um, when I got a doe. But it was a major six or seven years. I can't remember. But it was like. It was a total, it was a, it was a major challenge. And I, I don't know if you and I have talked about this on here elsewhere, but the fir- very first time I shot a deer with a bow was probably, probably like 2012. And I didn't realize, like, if you shoot them, they don't just automatically die. Okay. I thought, like... And maybe I hadn't watched enough videos. And that you got to remember, like, YouTube and stuff was kind of in the infancy there. And I would think at that time I was reading Field and Stream and, you know, all the magazines or whatever. But I shot this thing, and it was like, well, where, why didn't it just die? It didn't make sense. And I was shooting. I think if I went back, I think those arrows are probably, like, 375 grains, 100, 100, 100 grain mechanical broadheads. Like, just the complete opposite of what I'm doing now. But yeah. at time like i just didn't know and and some of it was you know whatever the industry was telling you at that time and yeah um so to me when i say i'm i suck at bow hunting okay realistically i've gotten better do i still have mistakes that i make yes but like last year was my best year ever um i got my first buck with a bow uh but i also had mistakes and i had things i have to to figure out that you know why why did that happen and so it's like anything in life you're kind of constantly learning yeah uh but yeah Yeah. i want to talk about so you got you got a good you got a buck last year right with your bow yep Yep. so let's talk about what went right what went right last year that put you in the right spot for this deer uh historical knowledge was part of it um dumb luck and I'm trying to think. So everybody always talks about the first week in November, and I'm sure that that is a good time mm-hmm. in uh, in the woods here in Ohio. But the properties that I've hunted, now I've been on these for a few years. And for whatever reason, I don't know if the does in this area just get hot later, it's always the back half of November yeah. is when you start getting them daylighting. And so this one camera, I mean, for two or three years, it was like November 21st to 24th, they were there in the daylight. There is a big buck coming through there. And I'd say big. Now, these aren't Dan Johnson big bucks. These are <laughs> more, this is more than a spike, right? So, um, but I would, you know, and I have them on the, on the camera and, and in the daylight. So I was like this year, for whatever reason, that November 23rd, Actually, I, I think it was like November 21st or 22nd. I had had one walk through there in the daylight, and I was like, and then the 23rd, I had the morning open. I was like, all right, let's just go. Let's mm-hmm. just we're gonna go out there and and give it a look. And sure enough, man, they were jumping around on the the neighboring property through the the thick goldenrod prairie patch, whatever it is. Next thing you know, for whatever reason, came right down the line to me, and uh, all the pieces worked out man yeah that's awesome that's awesome man um 
yeah, I it, it's I went through a very long period of time where I didn't know what I was doing, and and I got I got lucky a handful of times. Uh, was there anything specific that you changed up? over the years or maybe in a specific season that got you closer or got you more shooting opportunities? Yeah. So that buck was the one that ended up on the wall and in the freezer. But last year in general, there was, you know, I talked to you, you and I talked Mm -hmm. here and there. Uh, You were like, you got to find more properties, man. Yeah. Cause the ones I'm hunting are small and he's like, you gotta, you gotta go find more, more places to hunt. And I'm not huge on knocking on doors. Um, but started doing some research, right? And I found a couple local, uh, one was through the county, uh, that I live in their parks and rec district. Basically they, yeah. they own a couple properties that are like 200 acres a piece, 175, and you can sign up for it. Uh, you get to pick three weeks. One of them can be in the, during the rut. The other two have to be outside of what they call the rut, which was like October 22nd to November 22nd was what they consider that. Yeah. So I found these properties. I'm like, okay, let's go give it give it a whirl. And I mean, these are basically like old, donated to the county, completely unkept. They're nasty to get in and out of. Um, but I got I got access to that. Yes, I did take a doe off of there, but I had it was more learning and like how to read this topography mm-hmm. and figure these out. Um, some good, some bad, some really lucky. One night. I, I crawled into this this property. It's so hard to explain, but looking at it, 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 you know, from the map above, and this stuff is thick. It's like all honeysuckle, just brush. Um, I, I go down into this valley, and I'm like, I'm gonna post up on this this one hillside. You know, the thermal should be right, the wind, all this different stuff. Well, that hillside was just thick, thicket. There's no trees in there, and even if you if there was like a tree, you're not getting a shot on anything. Yeah, I was on my stomach hands and knees crawling through this shit finally i'm like i gotta get the hell out of here like we're i'm looking at the clock and and uh, i need to you know it was like four o'clock or something i don't know what i need to find a tree so i, I dove down and, and got into this creek and i just set up in this one spot well dude it was freaking deer movement all over the place i got busted by one um i had a doe blow at me and then the next thing i know i had these two bucks walking through the creek together and then that was just one of those situations where I was like, wow, you like figured out how to, to get into the, the thick stuff here. Yeah. Um, and it worked really well. So as far as what I've changed, like one of the things was going to find new properties uh, and then using the saddle and, and being a little bit more mobile and adapting. And that, that property, I hunted it a bunch this year, but I never really sat the same tree twice because yeah. I was constantly trying to move it and figure out different things. Um, and you just, you learn and yeah. you, you see different things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. I, I, uh, it's good to, to watch people. Cause I went through the same thing, man. You, my favorite thing. And, and that's what happened this past year is I had a brand new property. I'd never hunted before. Right. And new to me, I scouted it one time, but I didn't go into the timber cause I didn't want to bump deer, uh, set up trail cameras, got some good pictures then the season came i went in early october and i hunted for a couple days and then uh just to just to see what the farm was doing what it was like it was pretty sweet and then from there it was find the terrain feature set up on it 
and see the movement. And luckily, it took me just a couple of days to, to get the job done. And it's, and it's just a culmination of all the past experiences that I've had that led me to make that decision. And every year, I feel like now I'm just adding data so my decisions can become more accurate. Uh, based off of terrain, based off wind, based off time of year, based off like what you said, historical, you know, historical data and things like that. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to your, uh, like being aggressive, do you think you're aggressive or is that something that you're kind of working on? Uh, I don't think historically I wasn't. Yeah. Historic was like, well, that tree looks good and that's, you know, seems to be safe enough i'll just sit there and wait for him to come to me yeah last year uh i mean i don't even know that i thought i was being aggressive as much as it was just kind of like well this this looks good i mean there was one time at one of those properties where i was climbing the tree i think i was on my third stick up and here comes this little spike mm -hmm. walk right at me had no idea but what i'd come to realize and i knew there was you know good feed tree acorn white white oaks right there but they were really good and by the time I got in that tree, I mean, I was right there. I had six or seven deer underneath me at one point. I mean, right underneath me. Yeah. Um. So, but like, and then the story about crawling on my stomach and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that was probably too aggressive. I'm sure yeah. I bumped stuff out of there. Mm -hmm. But at the it worked out because, however, I looped back down around. Um. I don't know. Yeah. Don't yeah. Know. So yeah. It's definitely it's... getting aggressive. Yeah. I, and that's the biggest struggle for me is I am an overthinker. So I don't know, like, I know there's spots where I could get in and I could see deer, but if I'm ultra aggressive, I could be bumping stuff, stuff out. I could be getting busted way downwind. And so I think I've kind of adapted the outside in method where I'm hunting fringe, like good, good terrain features still and good, uh, good travel corridors and things like that. Maybe some staging areas that are easy to get to, but then as, as the season goes on and I start to get more information of how deer move, then I'm getting closer to these target areas, closer to the bedding areas, closer to any main, uh, hangouts, I guess you would say. And so that's one thing that, uh, that I just, I, I struggle with every year is just the overthinking. Yeah. I think one of the things, and I'm an overthinker too. Yeah. Uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself, which is that the whole mental game is another discussion. But I think my biggest challenge this year, like it, for me, is I need to figure out what a bedding area is. And I've yeah. asked this question. But, um, I mean, I see deer bed in people's front yards. Yeah. Right. I'm, you know, in, around central Ohio, and uh, so is that a bedding area? Like mm -hmm. technically, it could be. Uh. Or how to find buck beds versus you know doe beds, and and I, I get it. Like I've, I've kind of get the idea, but at the same time, you know they'll they'll just lay down next to a log too, and yeah. uh, might not look like a what I would think of as a bedding area, but yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of people are hung up on this idea that a bedding area has to have all these things. Like it has to have cover. It has to have, and and sometimes it, they don't have to have cover. It just needs to be a low spot where they can't be seen from a road or something like that or whatever. But I think there's this misconception that a, a buck beds in the same bed every single day. And that's not true. I, expect, I mean, in some cases it might be like uh, a marsh buck. 
you know, like Dan Infault has always talked about. Uh, these deer don't have anywhere else to bed, but some of the these high ground little knolls in wet air, like a wet marsh or something. But where I hunt, man, if there's a slight wind change, deer are changing their, where they're bedding. If it's a north wind, they're going to bed on a, you know, on a, a south facing slope. If they, if it is a east wind, they're going to bed on, let's say the terrain is the same thing. They're going to bed on the west facing slope. Uh, sometimes that's in the timber uh, when there's a lot of vegetation. Sometimes it's closer to the field edge, uh, depending at, like in some, in some egg scenarios where there's a lot of fingers. So I don't know, man, it, it's so, that's why I don't focus on beds. I focus on terrain features that move deer. And if I can find a pattern of a buck, all I have to do is get in that line somewhere. I don't have to just hover over a, a bed per se. I just have to. Now, if, I've, if I see a buck get out of a bed for some reason or he steps out of a little pocket, then, then I'm moving in on that. But if, if I don't see that, it's just a guess in my opinion. Yeah. Yep. Nope, totally. So, uh, do you think that you, as far as becoming a better bow hunter, do you, like, what's the next step? What are, what are some other things that you're going to be working on this season, next season, uh, that, that you feel are, is going to make you a better bow hunter? So for me, like I was saying, it's the mental, the mm -hmm. mental game and not having super put a lot of pressure on myself. Yeah. We talked about this a little bit in our, our last show, but like. Man, there's so many times, and you know, life is busy. Where I oh, feel yeah. like, I look at the calendar. I'm like, okay, I can get out Saturday, but if I go out, I need to have enough time. If I do get a deer, that I can be back for you know soccer game by 11:30, and this and that. And I need to get off of that. Get out there, just enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, trust my gut, you know. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Enjoy the time that you're out there. Yeah. And, and, and do that now, when the moment of truth comes, I need to keep my head clear. Yeah. Okay. So I last year that and maybe i overthought him. i had one i didn't stop okay i had a buck i didn't stop him uh, because you know whatever the most recent video i'd watched somewhere the guy was like don't stop deer you don't stop them yeah. you know, just spooks him or whatever gets him already on, on a high alert well my shot hit him in the ass okay yeah. and i felt terrible about it uh the arrow went all the way through i don't know if he, if he died, I caught, brought in the dog and all this different stuff anyways, but there was like no blood trail. And, um, that was a, that was a major learning moment. Like from there on out, I'm like, we're going to stop them. And that's, you know, and be, everybody's going to be prepared. Right. Yeah. So the other one I had, okay. Ohio's a bait state. Um, this is at this point in the year, I was just trying to start filling the freezer. Cause we, that's all we eat here. Um, and we'll go through three or four deer a year. Or more um but i had a doe at a, at a corn pile and she had her head down well i learned the whole idea that they duck arrows like crazy oh yeah so um i thought i clean missed her went back out to the same spot a week later and this doe comes in and she's got these two spots on her back and it was kind of weird that because uh, when i got down that night and when i thought i missed her the arrow was completely clean there was nothing on there well she comes back in she's got these two spots and she's real skittish well, this time I realized, you know, make sure, make sure that the, uh, the head's not down because that just increases their ability to drop. So I did get her come to find out it was the same doe. I hadn't missed her the first time. 
I had put the arrow through her back strap. I mean, we're talking like millimeters away from hitting her spine. Yeah. So she had ducked that arrow, lived a whole week with two holes in her back, completely fine. The toughest, tough animals, man. Yeah. But um, not the toughest. Hogs are the toughest. But <laughs> she. So that was just that was a crazy learning experience. And yeah. I think part of what I a lot of what happened last year, whether it was stopping the deer, shooting them when their heads down, any of this stuff, where to be. It all came from some of the, the tactics and stuff learning from your podcast and others and, and, and talking to people and just changing up this idea that we're going to go to this tree stand and, you know, it's going to be here on this date and the moon phase and all that kind of stuff because I know how much you love the moon phase. Um, <laughs> so a lot of, like, the tactics and stuff were good. It was the execution. So moving forward, I'm working to – I got to get that really dialed in. Yeah. I want to be a hundred this year. I don't want to have a, a buck I hit in the ass. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to, cause I'm not proud of that. That's yeah. terrible. That's and I mean that, that really, really pissed me off. So how some guys can't recover from that, man. I've talked to guys who have made a bad shot and they've just straight up hung it up in the, in the, yeah. for that season. They're just like, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to go through that again. I mean, that's how much respect they have for the animal, which it's hard to master because I've done it before too. Man, I, I had, I've had, I haven't had a ton, but I've had enough bad hits. And it's because either I rushed a shot or I didn't shoot at the right time or I black completely blacked out and, and just didn't, I didn't know what was going on. And this past year, even with a little hiccup with my arrow falling out of my bow and having to get a new arrow put in my bow, I felt, I felt like I was a little bit more in control. Total control? No, but more in control in that moment of truth. Now, when that arrow fell out, I went, ah, but then I got, I got my shit together, got another arrow knocked. I didn't want to stop him because I felt, since he was already spooked watching the arrow fall out, he would have just bolted. But so I shot him, hit him back. You know the whole story. And so it's all learning experience, man. And and I feel like you can't let a, that mindset let you quit. You just got to turn into a killer, man. And, and you just got to get back on your horse and go get it again, especially if it's a shot where a deer will live, like a backstrap type scenario. Um. I always, I always debate like, okay, I gut shot a deer, let's just say, and I could never find it. I, d I did that to a, a doe tag once on a doe tag once. And I, I, I thought I smoked her. It was high lung and I followed really good blood for a long time. It was like high lung, but I just could not find her. And so I don't know what I hit. If I hit some kind of dead zone in her body or if, if I did hit upper lung, and she just didn't die. I, I'm not sure. And uh, I, I, I didn't use that tag. I said that that doe was, but I feel like guys just need to get back on the horse, forget about it, and and start getting after it again. Well, I think in life, I mean, if you quit every time you didn't win a game yeah. or you didn't, you know, go wrong, you're not getting anywhere. Right. So you got to learn from that stuff. And yeah. so, like sitting. Day, I'm still I still run through my mind 
those mishaps I had last year and how to how to make them better so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. And maybe the mishap that happens this year that I haven't ever thought of, but that's part of the I don't want to say it's part of the game, but it's kind of part of the it's it's part of the process, mm-hmm. right? I had one which I kind of have a question for you, but you know, when you talk about dropping your arrow, which was a great story, I had one last year. I think I ended up taking four deer with my bow. But one of them I took, I shot, I missed because I hit a twig, right? Mm-hmm. And it hit, must have hit the twig and deflected into the side of this good-sized oak tree. And I mean, bump, like boom. That deer, like, did, like, two hops and then just kind of casually walked around. I put another arrow in and took her. Yeah. Do we give deer too much credit oh. when it comes to some stuff? Man, their body language is everything, right? The, and, and the woods... They're a lot louder than everybody thinks. There's brain, like if you ever just sit in the woods and listen, you know, there's some days where it's dead quiet, but then there's other days where there's, you can hear, you know, a, a whole tree when they sway in the wind, they, they're making like bending noises. Uh, you know, branches are constantly falling out of trees. There's birds going crazy. Other animals are walking around, right? And so, in, in some instances, yes, but in some instances, they, they have adapted to be the ultimate radar detector. You know what I mean? Like they are, they hear something that just does not sound right to them. Whoop, whoop. They, they pin you from a long ways away. Uh, other times, man, I've been walking to a tree stand through, uh, through dry picked corn and there, I saw a doe eating alongside of it and I just walk she's eating she looks up at me she eats again and goes back to eating I'm like if I was in a tree stand you would run for a mile type right. type scenario and so it, it just blows my mind body language individual deer that has a lot to do with it uh, how much pressure is already on a specific deer herd because I'm telling you right now this new farm I just I got so lucky there's it's just very low pressure there's, there's farming that gets done on it, but they plant the crops, they mow the hay, uh, and and then they, they're only there for planting, for harvest, and maybe two times a year to bale hay. And that's it. And so it's a money farm, man. And those deer, I can get, a, I can get a, away with a little bit more than my other farm where the deer, I have to make way less mistakes because the deer are keen to the pressure that, that humans and hunters and mushroom hunters and uh, farmers and, you know, turkey hunters. And there's just more people on the property all year round. So right. I think a lot of it has to do with the, the property and the pressure. There, there was one of the first times I was out bow hunting. I remember I had a doe coming in um, and I, I am a doe shooter. So, for the, you know, I don't care, but she's coming in. And she had been 100, 150 yards away. And my bow, I was in a ladder stand. Mm-hmm. I pulled it down, and I don't know what, I. my cam hit the, the side of the metal. Little ting, right? Ting. Mm-hmm. She stopped and went the other direction, like yeah. completely different direction. I'm like, so I think for ever since that moment, right, and another one of those moments that just resonates in my brain time and time again, it's like make sure you never hit anything. But yeah. then I have last year where I literally – 
I mean, it sounded like a Sasquatch knock on a tree, and that deer barely cared. So, I don't know. Yep. Uh, I know out west, when I I hunt out west, man, whitetails are the spookiest uh, there compared to anywhere else I've ever been. Maybe the the Michigan deer that I had an encounter with, uh, those deer were pretty skittish. But you don't get a second chance in in a place like South Dakota or or Nebraska with a whitetail. They they see you or smell you, they are gone and they're gone forever. So and then uh what else? We got uh like Iowa here. I I I can get away with a little bit of movement for the most part. A lot of it depends on my scenario and how high I am, but I feel like you can make a little bit of mistakes and, and still get away with getting a shot off when they're inside shooting range. Yeah. I'll tell you one of the things I think that's helped me also grow as a hunter and, and just get into the, the scenarios where I've got deer present in the, in the realm is, is hunting other States. Yeah. So I over to Pennsylvania for a few years now and just trying to, I mean, those big mountains, big woods, totally different than Ohio ag land. Yeah. I uh, went up to Michigan last year on Drummond Island. That's its own little world up there yeah uh, but it, it you utilize some of the same tactics and stuff to get into these spots and uh end up seeing deer makes uh you know makes for a more enjoyable hunt actually absolutely i uh i just i want to i want to spread my wings more and it's tough to do with my schedule but i want to start hunting more states man i just even if it's just like for a day or two I want to drop down to Missouri. I want to pop over to Illinois. I mean, I got, I have really good states. Like Missouri's over the counter right now. Illinois is over the counter right now. I think Wisconsin and Minnesota are, are both over the counter states. So I can go and hunt those, those four states. Nebraska right now, well, not as much anymore. I think some of their tags are now limited. But hey, yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, the one you got to take off of your list is Oklahoma. Went down there, did some hog hunting. There are no deer down there, okay? There are no deer in Oklahoma. Um, John Hutspeth, you, you know, you can pay me later. But there's there's really no deer in Oklahoma, Dan. So you don't need to talk about it anymore. And, uh, yeah, don't worry about it. So I did not draw Kansas this year, okay? And and so while I was down in Kansas, the, the area that I was going to hunt is maybe an hour or two away from Oklahoma in some pretty decent uh, area there. But... I don't care what you say. I know cats out of the bag, dude. Like I, uh, I, I just keep hearing good things about Oklahoma and I want to go give it a, a shot. Um, and you know, every year I know, I know he's got a private land scenario. John does, but either way, the deer, there's good deer there in, in Oklahoma. I want to go find one. Nope. Nope. Nowhere. Nope. 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 You, cause you went hog hunting down there, right? Yeah, we did. Uh, yeah, rolling around the the cattle ranch and stuff, dude. That's a different world. Yeah. And when we're there, it was me and him, Nick Otto, and then uh, Dan Matthews came down for the one night. But uh, we did the thermal hog hunting, which was a blast. Yeah. Um. And uh, we we were talking about you know the properties that we hunt, and you know Nick's like, well, I got twenty acres here, and I'm talking about the little tiny things I I hunt. And John's like, yeah, if you don't hunt a thousand acres down here, you're not hunting. And I'm like, bro, a thousand <laughs> acres, I'd get lost out there. But, uh, yeah, no, he, 
I, I told him that I want to next time I talk to you uh, and make sure that you know you and Tony Peterson realize there are no deer actually in right. Oklahoma. Right. Uh, you need to yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, but that's the thing, right? So a twenty-acre piece in Ohio—that's a lot of woods—can hold the same amount of deer that a thousand acres hold in Oklahoma. That's a full-blown cattle ranch. So it's all about. Like you got to put some of that stuff into perspective uh, of, of where you hunt because I, dude, out west, I know. So if I was going to compare my main farm here in Iowa, I know that on a given night I'm going to see anywhere between twelve and ten, fifteen at max, twenty deer in a night. Probably sitting close to that ten, ten to fifteen range. But I've I've sat on one of the biggest hills that I could see out west, and I only saw like three in that in that specific area. Now, who knows what, what I could, I mean, and we're talking thousands of acres around me that I could see with my binos. So it just depends on the cover, the scenario, the food situation. Man, the food situation out west is so weird. Like, you could have this awesome lush grassland, but if the cattle got to it first, you might as well not even hunt that because the deer usually aren't there if the grass has been grazed down to the dirt so right yep yep um goals for this upcoming season man uh now that you've kind of gone through the ups and downs for a couple years uh what are you uh what's your goal this year first goal is always to fill the freezer okay Okay. i get out on day one uh our our opener is always the last saturday in september Mm mm-hmm Right. Uh, let's start that route. And then from there, you know, it's just, uh, I want to, I want to start a streak of continuing to get a buck and, and that kind of stuff. But also let's eliminate mistakes we made last year and keep, you know, trying to find new properties and that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, I'm going to continue to do the saddle thing because it's been very good to me. I picked up, I don't have a whole lot of gear, like, up the upgrades this year Um, i'm in pretty good shape there although i picked up at a raffle or auction that was a funny story um one of those dialed arxos sites the single pin ones you know what i'm talking about i think so and uh, i gotta get comfortable with that so i've always shot a three pin um i've been working on trying to get used to that and uh i think we'll be all right yeah yeah man i always debate I just feel like things happen so fast for me when I do get them. I never, I never have time. Like if I set my pin for 20 or let's just say I set my pin for 25. And so that way I'm shooting somewhat flat at 30 and 25 or 30 and 20. Okay. But you know, if they're coming in and out like this, which I ran into earlier in the season, I had a a buck that I thought about shooting come in and out and so i had to range okay 28 had to range 19 okay now he's here and and he's just fluctuating so much that if i was to sit there with my pin i i would just be decreasing the amount the chance i had when he did stand still to range him adjust and then go where i i guess for me i would rather gap shoot my pins uh my my deer guessing like okay well if he's 30 i'm gonna hold the or if he's 20 eight i'm gonna hold the 30 pin just a little bit lower and i don't know well 
it I just I just can't get past the the fact that you have to make extra adjustments in a short period of time that way. But I used to shoot a, a pin and I, I liked it. Uh, I less less what do they call that peep cloud or uh, where the pins block the view? They, there's a term for it. I forget at the yeah. moment, but you know is what it is. Um, so gear you're set on gear. You uh, is there a, a buck from last year that you hope shows back up? again or any information like that man there's one at the one property i hunt and he sh now i don't catch him on daylight a whole lot but he's been there for three or four years now and i mean it's pretty i you were just talking to your, your fall podcast guy about how to you know age deer and that kind of stuff i'm not good at that by any means but this rack is really it's it's very wide and mm -hmm. it's not to me it's not the most pretty rack but it is it's a good size rack uh, if he if he comes back, that would be a cool one. Um, but no, I mean, I'm not chasing 180s or whatever. It's not like that. Mm -hmm. uh, if it's, I'm I'm still in that mindset of if if it gets you going, like I'm I'm ready to go. Yeah. Uh, the one I got last year, technically is a five, has five times five point, and one broken off. But you know, I I don't know. It must probably a 120 or something. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really know how to well, but. Man, I was so stoked, and he looked like 200 when he walked. In. <laughs> you just from an excitement level, you got to shoot him. Those are my yeah, favorite, man. man. Those are my favorite. All right, man. But I think for I went so long without having the opportunity. Oh, okay. Like, to even have me that was worth anything. That I was like, I remember one time. Okay, not to get. I know you're trying to wrap up here. I was like so mad. I was like, just dear God, I will shoot the next deer that you send underneath me, and he next thing you know it was like 10 minutes later out comes this little fork horn right mm -hmm. on, and I'm, all right and i look and the other side's broken off i'm like i'm not shooting that thing like you know i said I god when i asked for a deer i right. asked for a 200 inch state record now I can you please make that happen right <laughs> you said the worst looking deer in front of me i, I let him go i didn't shoot him but oh god that's anyway. that's funny, man. Well, I tell you what, man. Good luck the rest of this, uh, you know, this upcoming season. Hopefully, all your whitetail dreams come true. All your out of state hunts. Uh, where are you going out of state? Planning on Pennsylvania and Michigan again this year. So okay, all right. Two uh, slam dunk states, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, good luck this upcoming season, man. And hopefully, all your hunts uh, pan out. And uh, thanks you for making time to hop on today, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Dan. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to our close. Huge shout out to Andrew for taking time out of his day to uh, BS with me for a while. Huge shout out to Tethered, Wasp, Vortex, Hunt Stand, Woodman's Pal and Huntworth. Uh, please go and support the companies that support this podcast. And lastly, man, go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, hit me up on Instagram, Nine Finger Chronicles, and uh, spread the love, spread the positive energy. Good vibes in, good vibes out, and we'll talk to you next time.